Hey there, welcome back to another episode of MVP Business, where we showcase leaders who live through their mission, vision, and passion to drive growth, profits, and loyalty. Today's guest is Mike O'Krent, founder of Life Stories Alive. Since 2006, Mike has specialized in making personal history videos for families, and he's expanded that beautiful mission to nonprofits and businesses. Thank you for being here today, Mike. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be with you, Stephanie. I am so excited to talk with you. You've been capturing other stories, other people's stories for so long. Now I get to help capture yours. What an oh honor. Boy. I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to being on your side on of the, the microphone, other side. right? <laughs> well, you can ask me questions if you want. Um, tell me a little bit about your history before Life Stories Alive. Wow. Some people ask me a lot, how did you get into this business? And, um, it, it, it makes absolutely no sense. People think that I have a psychology degree, I have a journalism degree, I have neither. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, got, I have a business degree, but I grew up in my family's retail carpet business. Moved to Austin in 1998 when I um, bought a carpet store here, sold it in 04, and had no idea what I was going to do after that. Mm-hmm. And a business coach helped me connect how much I loved um, an opportunity that I got uh, in 1996, actually, the, yeah, 1996 to 2000, I interviewed Holocaust survivors for Steven Spielberg's foundation. Wow. And this business coach helped me connect with how much I loved doing that, and he asked a question I had never, ever thought of, and that question was, can you make a business out of doing something like that? Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, why not? I had a system and a process that I learned from Spielberg's organization. In Austin, we have such a great community of entrepreneurs and bootstrappers, so I bootstrapped the business. There were videographers and editors here that I could um, freelance hire, Mm -hmm. and uh, I started with a wing and a prayer. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's how everything starts, with a wing and a prayer. Right. Uh, So how in the world did you get that Spielberg opportunity? Oh, (laughs) I uh, was born and raised in San Antonio, was volunteering with the Jewish Federation of San Antonio, who had and still have this wonderful Holocaust education program, a three-day program they would send out to the high schools or the middle schools. If it's an English teacher teaching Anne Frank or if it's a history teacher teaching World War II, they would call the Federation and say, bring the program out these three days, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, day one was they had a film that was produced that they would show the kids. following day a teacher so I volunteered to go out and teach the kids about the Holocaust okay right Mm -hmm. and day three back then a survivor would come and talk to the kids actually and so that was going on I did that from the late 80s to the early 90s and then Spielberg while he's filming Schindler's List um, in Poland survivors are saying I want to tell you my story he starts this foundation with the goal of interviewing 50,000 survivors wow and they didn't solicit survivors survivors would call in to the foundation to say, I want to be interviewed. So as calls started to come in from Austin and San Antonio and South Texas, uh, the foundation sent a letter to the Jewish Federation of San Antonio saying, we need interviewers. Uh If you know of anybody who's willing to uh, uh, volunteer their time and expense to fly to Los Angeles to be trained, and I jumped all over it. And that's how I got involved with that. And it's one of those things that you, you do because you think it'll be cool. It absolutely changed my life. I bet. I bet. First of all, hearing all those stories and being kind of uh, immersed in them. Do you have oh, yeah. 
family that are survivors? You know, it's, it's a very good question, and the answer is no. All no. of my family came over when the, the big migration of Eastern European Jews came to this country around 1900, the late 1800s to the early 1900s. Uh, it's a fiddler-on-the-roof type of story. Yeah. My family came from, a, both sides of my family came from little shtetls in, in Russia and Poland, and they came over. But no, I didn't have anybody, thank God, that yeah. was involved in the Holocaust. Wow, that's um, unfortunately a, a unique story yeah. in, in, the, um, in the culture. So t- tell me, um, in the very beginning, you, you had this business coach who said, um, <laughs> why don't you follow, follow this passion? Right. Um, you, did you have any experience or history in film at that point? None. None. Zero. So how, <laughs> so how did your, how did your family and, and your wife react? I mean, you, you had um, a business background, you'd had success in that, but right. this is a whole new venture. How did yeah. everyone react? Wow. Um, my, my wife was very, very supportive. Linda um, supported me the whole way. Um, my kids thought it was a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I say, I, I, let me backtrack. You, did you have any experience in film? No, I didn't have any experience in film, but I was an interviewer who saw the process of how Spielberg would hire the videographers. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, why can't I do the same thing like that? Mm-hmm. But as far as how to build a documentary, no, no I you didn't You can jump in and do it yourself. But I've always loved movies. I've always loved stories. And I thought, well, I'll learn a little bit and just follow the path, which is, which is what I did. I mean... Did you get to interact with Steven Spielberg at all, or no? no? I missed. I, I did a couple of trips to Los Angeles and missed him by two hours on one trip. Oh, <laughs> but he hired the best in the world. There yeah. was like the best historians to teach us about the history of that. He hired wonderful people to help us learn incredible skills like listening skills. You know, if you're sitting across from somebody like you're doing right now mm-hmm. and you're interviewing somebody for something that largely many of them had never told their story in fifty years. Right. You better be a good listener mm-hmm. and you better not interrupt and you better and so they had the best of the best to do that so i was very very fortunate to be, have been trained by some of the best people in the world that's amazing yeah. um are there any particular processes or um uh, tactics yeah. other i mean listening obviously that's a really big one but sure. are there particular things that you still have in place from what you learned then absolutely uh-huh. absolutely in fact in 2017 i wrote a book um that it's a how-to book uh-huh. it's called a conversation you'll never forget a guide to capturing a life story and people can find it on amazon but in, in that book are many of the skills that i learned from from what i learned from spielberg's organization um i'll share two of them with you. Number one, when you're interviewing somebody for their entire life story, go chronologically during the interview. Uh-huh. Because, and in, in they taught us, and it's so true, that the human mind, especially with older people, as they go chronologically, they will remember more because their brain will be going back from that moment, then the next one, then the next one, then the next one. So they remember a lot more and they share a lot more stories. Mm-hmm. The best listening skill that I ever learned is in the following, and your listeners might want to write this one down because it's so good. Uh, in conversation with, with a loved one or whenever you're having any conversation, the next thing that you say has to include at least one word from the last sentence that they say. Oh, wow. Yeah, the next thing you say has to include at least one word from the last sentence that they say. So that what that causes you to do, number one, is pause a lot longer than you're used to 
after they're done because you don't know if it's the last sentence that they're saying, right? Mm -hmm. And number two, you better listen to every word they're saying because you have to use one of those words in the last sentence. And it's, it seems awkward at first, mm -hmm. but once, like anything, it. once you practice something, it becomes second nature. So is the purpose of that to use one of the last things that, or one of the things that they said so that you can lead or pull from that same story and, and pull it through instead of jumping? Or what's the reasoning for that? The reasoning is, is I think there are many reasons. One of the reasons is, especially if it's involving emotion, many people, if they get emotional, if you don't wait until that mm -hmm. is finished, some of the best pearls of mm -hmm. their heart come out at the end of that emotion. Mm -hmm. So if you interrupt it, you're going to be interrupting that. But one of the other reasons that, that you should say, um, one of the words that they say, but it'll, it'll help you dive down deep into clarifying what they're really saying. Uh -huh. You know, many people will say something and you can't assume that others understand what it is, especially if you're interviewing somebody for their life stories and the purpose of that or the why for the family mm -hmm. is to connect generations. Right. For instance, um, I've interviewed many people that grew up uh, in rural areas. And if it's in Texas, I'll, I'll, I'll ask them, you know, did, did, describe the house that you grew up in. Mm -hmm. Of course, and they leave you and they're describing that house, mm -hmm. right? Um, did it have air conditioning at that time? No, we didn't have air conditioning at that time. What are you kidding me? Well, it gets hot in Texas. Mm -hmm. How did you stay cool? And they'll say something. Perhaps they'll say that we had a sleeping porch. Now, for those, in, and I know because of who will be listening to this future generation, it's a sleeping porch. What the heck's a sleeping porch? And so he asked them, what's a sleeping porch? If you're not listening to the words sleeping porch in that last sentence that they say, you don't know to clarify that. Mm -hmm. And it's just a porch and you move on from there. Um, that, that's absolutely fascinating. So what, um, when you, so it's kind of, it's kind of like therapy where you would reflect, right? So there's a little bit of making sure that you understand their statements correctly, yes. but also um, making sure that you are, you're not leaving anything behind on the table, right? For exactly. Those memories. I think you hit it on, on the nail on the head because you, you don't want to leave anything out. And the more you listen and the more you use those words, the more you will be able to connect. Um, like I said, people have asked me if I'm a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And what's, what's really strange, when you become a really good listener, people think you're a psychologist mm. because you're really listening to what they're saying. And very few people do in conversation. Mm -hmm. Very few people do. My older brother, Ken, is a, is a psychologist. And I, I laugh because I tell people, I'm not a psychologist. Psychologists have to listen and they have to fix it. All I have to do is listen. I don't have to fix anything. <laughs> yeah, right? the easier part. You can stay crazy. I don't care, right? <laughs> yeah, that's Sorry. a lot more. No, that's funny. You don't have to write any scripts and then be responsible for it either. Um, so as you have um, started this business, you've been going for quite a while now. And like I mentioned, you expanded into not just telling, I don't want to say just, but not only telling uh, individual life stories, but mm -hmm. moving into businesses and nonprofit organizations. Uh, how do you feel like you have done in the evolution of your business in staying true to any of your original mission or or the passion that you set out to kind of fulfill i think the original mission was to connect generations of families mm -hmm. in ways that they never imagined 
And the best way to connect people is through conversation and through their story. Um, the mission was to get the essence of the individual. What's deep down inside? Mm -hmm. What is the essence? So many generations from now, your great-great-grandkids who will never know you will know you in some way. That was the original mission. That translates into businesses and nonprofits very well, especially family businesses. Right. Um, Baylor University has, with Dr. Bill Worthington, has a, has a wonderful, wonderful program. It's called the Institute for Family Business. It's one of 15 uh, universities. And I've spoken there many times on teaching family business members how to connect through the story of their family business. Mm -hmm. um, there's a great article that I wrote not long ago that I can share with your listeners if yes, you want. It's, it's called... Um, um, being humble is nothing to brag about. <laughs> and it's the story of a family business, a, a, a third generation family business owner whose grandpa never told stories and he missed that out. Oh. And so I, I, I interviewed his parents so those stories would be, would, would be mm -hmm. captured. Mm -hmm. But uh, connecting generations uh, through story is 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 a great way, and I keep to that mission. And then with nonprofit organizations, I've had the fortune to interview and and make history videos for nonprofit organizations. And, and the sweet spot is those that are twenty or thirty years old that are successful because the founder is getting up there in age. Mm -hmm. And many of the stories of the founder, why they did what they did, right. and what they came up with, and all this other stuff, mm -hmm. you can read some of it, but when you see and you hear it in their, in their voice, and you see their face and expressions about what was the fine line that made them go over the edge, if you will, to mm -hmm. start this wonderful organization, right. you capture that history. Mm -hmm. So I think that goes down to the mission, because it still is grabbing the essence of the individual. And uh, that's a very long answer to a short question. Oh, no, it's a great, it's a great answer. And that, that's exactly what we're doing here. Because, yeah. because we believe very strongly that it's that passion of the leader, of the founder, that is the essence of the company. I heard a great quote recently that said, um, leadership is your brand yeah. or leadership is your culture. And when uh, that leadership transitions out of being a small founder-driven business to maybe it's grown to multi-cities or like you said that you know generation is changing over and maybe it's not even the kids it's the grandkids now then how do you keep that original passion that original mission sure sometimes it needs to shift as the world changes but it's still the um the the passion and the um the clear direction of leadership that mm -hmm. um, motivates the rest of the team, the rest of the company. And the, and best, the more you tell that story. Right. The best way to discover that essence and those values. Values are, are very, very mm -hmm. um, um, meaningful and important to founders of businesses and founders of nonprofit organizations. How do you translate those values? You translate it through the stories. Right. Right. Um, and I, it, it's fun. <laughs> it's just a blast to do it as you're doing right now you're doing the same thing as you mentioned and it's 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 fun to be on your end of the microphone it is it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun to hear those stories right. and what what really um excites 
people and gets yeah. them the spark to, to do something like start a whole new business that they've never exactly. had any experience in. And, uh, and for your listeners to do that with their loved ones, mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. sit across from somebody in, um, and ask questions. Now, right. if you don't know what questions to ask, I've, I've got an online course that's the second round we're starting in April. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I do, called the Life Stories Method. And uh, I can give you a link or something to that. Please so do. I'll can, put it in can, the show notes. So people can do that. But it's, it's, I, I realized about a couple of years ago that I, I can't be everywhere. And when I wrote the book, I'm thinking, well, how can I really teach people how to do this for themselves? Mm-hmm. And technology with online courses is, is just so wonderful these days. And so I, I did that. And it, it would sadden me if one of your listeners... And it happens all the time. They go to a funeral of a grandpa or grandma, and they realize that the stories are being buried with them. Mm-hmm. And that's the te- the technology is not an excuse these days, because with the smartphones that we have in our pockets, we can we can do that right now. Mm-hmm. And that's how I, that's what we teach people to do. Absolutely. I just attended a funeral a couple of months ago, and my cousin was running around saying like grandma just died and now uncle died. like we all need to get together tonight yeah. and and like you know, we have a really big family who knows what that we don't we haven't heard before you know let's get it all out because we're all whispering i heard that this was you know, this secret was a thing and then yeah. i heard that this secret was a thing well it doesn't need to be secret and yep. let's get it out there um and and the thing that i love you know some of my family was you know oh my gosh i can't believe that that happened but to me i see the humanity of the individual, you know, if there's some sort of sorted affair or drama oh, or yeah. crazy things, like oh, wow, yeah. you were you were a you know crazy young woman, and then you you but I saw you as you know this you know whatever it is you see the person as as they grow old, um, but the life that they lived oh. is amazing. It's always amazing. It is. It, it's it's always amazing, and I'm I'm laughing because you you reminded me of something. After one year of doing this business, I was with a business group, and I stood up and I said, "I've got good news for each and every one of you." After one year of interviewing families, if you think your family is the only dysfunctional one around, I got news, they all are. Right. And it's the 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 joy and the essence of that story and that dysfunction mm-hmm. that can be. So enlightening, and it, 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 actually, it absolutely is. Yeah, yeah. It can. Be, it's beautiful because life is not simple, no. um, and it, it isn't for anybody. Uh, I, I feel like um, things like that are almost like group therapy. Like we are all in this crazy world together. <laughs> There's no linear direction or path for anyone. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to the business a little bit mm-hmm. and talk about um, what obstacles did you overcome in getting started, or mm. have you come across as you have um, gone through the years? The biggest obstacle that I, I faced when I started, and it's still an obstacle, I've heard through many courses that I've taken myself, that if you want to start a business, and you want to start a business that's going to do well, find something that people have as a pain. Mm-hmm. And if you can find a solution to their pain, you've got something that'll sell, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you find their pain? Well, one suggestion that I think is brilliant, what do people wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning in the middle of the night worrying about? That's a pain. Mm-hmm. And that's a real pain. Mm-hmm. The challenge that I had in my business and still have somewhat is that people aren't waking up in the middle of the night thinking, oh, I better get Grandma's story before it's gone. It is or a reality. Or until they can't capture it anymore. Exactly. Or until it's to, too late. Yeah. They're too sick. Or, yeah. And 
and they're not thinking about that. So one of the challenges that I had is educating people on the idea. Now, once people find out that there's somebody out there that does this, they think, oh, well, that sounds cool. Let's, let me look into that. But it's that first step mm -hmm. that is a challenge. Now, should it keep somebody who has a similar business idea from doing it? Absolutely not. If your business idea will help solve a problem that is there, whether they know that it's there or they don't know that it's there, do it anyway. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll never regret starting what I started because I see the lives that I've touched. Mm -hmm. And I'm just the catalyst. I'm, I'm, I'm just the person that, that asks questions. All I do is ask. Right. They're the ones that connect their own families together. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll, I'll never regret that. And there's lots of great ideas of good businesses out there that your listeners have in their minds right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's really exciting. It's so much fun to, to um, hear the different ideas and passions that, that people have. Would you go back and do anything differently, though? Hmm, that's a, a very good question. I, we all learn from our mistakes, and I've made plenty of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Would I do anything differently? Um, you know, I've, I learned long ago, and I didn't practice it at the beginning. Surround yourself with people who you can, number one, trust, which I have surrounded myself with people that I can trust, but that you can really bounce off ideas and that will tell you mm. what, is, what you should do and what you shouldn't do, what you're doing wrong, because we can't see ourselves from our own eyes. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can't see what other people see in ourselves and as they look at a business. So I would have put together an advisory board oh. a lot sooner than I have. When did you put together an advisory board? About five years afterwards. And, you okay. Know, plenty, plenty of mistakes that I made. Mm. But, um, and have the advisory board be people that know you but not yes people. You don't right. surround yourself with people who are going to say, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. I've had people that say, you know, this sounds like a great idea, but you're out of your mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. There's no way that that's going to make any money. It's going to cost you more. And, and it's eye-opening for me. So that's one of the things that I would do differently. Other than that, there's not, there's not a whole lot. Uh, I think your listeners and any entrepreneur should look forward to making the mistakes. It sounds weird, but um, mm -hmm. we learn so much from that. Absolutely. And admit when you make a mistake. That's the big part. Yeah. yeah so you can learn <laughs> from it. Right. You don't keep making the same mistake right. over and over again. So tell me about the types of people that you chose for your advisory board or that you surround mm. yourself with. Have they been with you since then, most of them? I don't, I don't gather them too terribly often. But the types of people, there is somebody who knows a lot about the legal side mm -hmm. of the world. There's somebody who knows a lot about the accounting side of the world. There is one guy that's always advised me that's highly, highly successful. Um, and and he, he started a business that everybody knows. And uh, he, I'm, I'm just very fortunate to have him as a friend. So find somebody that knows a lot about business and about the sides of business, that, especially your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. I'm a creative guy. That side of my brain fires all the time. The numbers and all that other stuff, mm -hmm. not so much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So surround yourself with people that could balance that, mm -hmm. but also other people in the business. There was somebody on my board that um, uh, was a, a um, had been on the board of directors of the Austin Film Society for a long time. Okay. Now I'm not a filmmaker in the traditional sense with making you know feature, feature. films, mm -hmm. 
But having somebody from that side that might say, you know, you might think about this. You might think about this. It's been very valuable. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that answers your question. Absolutely, it does. Uh, how did you, were they people that you were close friends with? How did you approach them? Um, some I was close friends with. Others I met through being on the board of directors for Zach Theater or, or other nonprofits. Um, and even the people that I really didn't know well, you just call them and ask them. Mm-hmm. What's the worst thing? They could say no or I don't have time or whatever. Then you move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. But I think people are honored mm-hmm. to be asked to be on a board of advisors. That means that person who is asking you thinks enough of you to to ask that you they, they think you know something, <laughs> whether you do or you're not. It's you nice to hear, opinion. right? Absolutely. <laughs> so I would just I would just say just just ask and pick pick good people. I mean, you know, go go through your list of people who you're thinking about mm-hmm. asking and pick. don't ask too quickly. Like figure yeah. out if, you, if that's someone you really want to exactly hear from for Very a good, good amount of time. Right. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by 5D Show Services. 5D is a full-service trade show display, graphics, and services company with over 30 years of experience. They partner with companies of all sizes to help plan and execute their best trade shows and events on time and on budget. I've worked with Danny at 5D for over 15 years and continue to be impressed with the level of service and quality his team continues to provide. For more information on their capabilities, visit 5dshowservices.com. That's the number 5dshowservices.com. How do you handle roadblocks and competition, or do you do you see the world that way? Um, I, I see that there are definitely roadblocks. There is definitely competition, and I welcome competition. Because of what I said earlier, that people aren't thinking about doing this, anybody that is that people think is competition, I welcome. Because they will help raise awareness Mm -hmm. of people about the idea that the service exists. It's like co-advertising. They're out there spreading a message and you can... Absolutely. My beautiful daughter-in-law has a cousin in Baltimore. And right after my son and daughter-in-law got married, uh, he says, you know, I'm thinking about... He was a great PR guy. He was in the PR business for a long time. He's thinking about doing something like this. So I mentored him, and I put him in business in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. He's doing better than I'm doing, mm-hmm. quite frankly, <laughs> in a very short amount of time. I think five years he's into it. So is he competition? Sure, he's competition. But it's great because I'm learning things from him, mm-hmm. and we we have a once-a-month phone call. That's great. And I'm learning things from him about the ideas and the things that are successful from him, and he's learning from me. So... I think any com- competition, I don't care what business you're in, get friendly with it. You don't share all your secrets. Of course not. Mm-hmm. But in what business is there that people really don't know what's going on with each other? Right. Most of them, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's better to be friendly with your competitors than it is to be adversary. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely agree. And there, you never know when you can share business or work together. You know, yeah. Maybe there's a really big project that you come together on at some point and you know that you can trust him and you know yeah. he's going to do a good job. So to answer the other part of your question, I didn't answer the other part mm-hmm. of it, regarding roadblocks. Mm-hmm. Whenever I hit a roadblock, I assess. And I'm not, because of that one side of the brain that I talked about, <laughs> I'm not the best at assessing. So get other people to share that roadblock, share that roadblock with other people, mm-hmm. your advisors or other people, and say, this is what's happening. Tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. And so you assess, and then you adjust. Um, 
Now, if it's a roadblock that is indeed the train that's coming in the other direction, there are times when you should quit. <laughs> I mean, yeah. never quit was what Winston Churchill said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's another rule that says when you're riding a dead horse, dismount. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and there are things that I've tried that have just bombed and you just move on. You quit. Any big ones you want to talk about? No. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's a good question. You're a good interviewer. I'm fed up. I'm leaving. I don't want to talk about those things. (laughs) I have another shout out. This one is to Wimberly Films. This is a husband and wife team that loves the art of filmmaking. With over 20 years of experience capturing the magic of life and business, they transform moments and memories into tangible treasures. I've seen these folks in action and it's amazing. Their work is breathtaking. To see some of their work, look them up on Facebook or visit their website, wimberlyfilms.com. That's wimberlyfilms.com. Um, along with the roadblocks, are, are there is there anything that you do to um, set yourself up to be in a good mindset or um, to have processes? Do you have a morning routine or uh, you know technology software that you rely on? Daily, there's a CRM system that I have that's tied in with my Mac. I'm a, I'm a Mac guy, and I use that almost daily, but. A routine, when I'm doing an interview, there's definitely a routine. Mm-hmm. When I'm getting ready to sit across from somebody, um, Spielberg said, you, you have one shot at this. Mm. You have just one opportunity to capture the stories. You have one opportunity to have that conversation. So I really close my eyes and, it's, and I tell myself over and over again, it's about them. Mm-hmm. It's about them. This isn't about you. This isn't appearing smart. I don't need to appear smart. I just need to be the catalyst that'll grab that story and, and bring it out. Again, back to the mission that you had mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do before an interview. But somewhat every day, I, I try to think, how can I help people? Mm-hmm. How, can I, how can I find more people that I can help? And how can I truly help them? Um, there's a lady in town named Kay Oder, and Kay is just wonderful. She's one of the best salespeople that I've known. When she meets somebody new, um, she gives and gives and gives and gives, wants to know more about them, wants to build that relationship, know more about them, and see what she can give them before she sells them anything. Mm-hmm. I think that's so smart. Um, and so I try to do that, too, every day. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Where do you find your inspiration and your happiness? Hmm. Want to see a picture of my grandkids? Yeah, you show me. That was one of the first things we did today. Yes, definitely. Does that answer your question? (laughs) Yes. Family. Yeah. For me, it's family. Uh, My wife and my my son and daughter are just joys to me. And and now my daughter-in-law and grandkids. Um, That brings me such just happiness. Inspiration? Um... You know, you ask me about roadblocks and tough times. For many years, and there's still one that I go to, um, through the interviews of the people that I do, uh, there's a couple of them that if I ever thought about quitting this business, I, go, I put that interview on uh-huh. and I think, oh, wow, there's, there's no way I'll ever quit this. Right, there's the no story way ever... needed to be told. Well, yeah, 
Yeah, the way he connected, the way the person looked me in the eye and says, thank you, Mike. If it wasn't for you, this story wouldn't be told. And I still get chills. I just did too, and I'm okay, I might cry. (laughs) And and it's, it's, it's wild the way that works. I think the best answer to that question, and your question is a very good question, um, your listeners will find it in a TED Talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to TED.com and put my name in there. And I gave a TED Talk in November 2018 in Wilmington, Delaware. And uh, I give you that answer in that TED Talk. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, uh, of that, I have some questions from, from that TED Talk for you. Oh, no. <laughs> Let's see. Let's get through a couple of other questions first. What advice would you have for anyone that's um, getting ready to start their own yeah. business that is this sort of passion-based business like yours? Um, my best advice is ready, fire, aim. Mm. Just go. Just go. Just do it. Make your mistakes. Just it's it's. Uh, I'm taking a course from a guy named Stu McLaren. He teaches people how to build membership sites. It's a wonderful course called Tribe. It's really, really worth it. One of the things that he says, and I really, really love this, he says it's more important to get it done than it is to get it right. So just start doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, learn basics, but don't think you don't have enough to get going. Just start it, especially if it's something that they're passionate about, especially. Mm-hmm. If it's something that they, they want to do that's part of their gut, that's part of their essence, that's part of their passion, just start doing it and share that, that idea with other people. People want to help. Mm-hmm. My grandfather said over and over again, ask people for their help and advice. Both things. Excuse me, but do you mind? I want to ask you for your help and advice. I've got this idea or I've got this. Ask people and then just get going. That's my best advice. So just get going and then you can always improve. You get your board of directors oh, yeah. and, and you go from there. Right. Because when you study the history, when you, when you read the stories and study the history of successful business people, that's exactly what happened. They had this idea. They, started to, they just started to do it. You don't want to get what Zig Ziglar called analysis paralysis. Mm-hmm. Well, I need to get this done. I need to get this done. Before I start, I better have this done. No. Mm-hmm. Your ducks will never be in a row. Mm-hmm. Just get going. What's the first step that exactly. I can take toward this exactly. goal? So, if you had just one more day with a loved one, oh. <laughs> who would it be? Oh. And what would you do oh, that God. day? <laughs> you know, for those of you listeners, I, there are 15 questions that I'd be happy to share with your listeners if you want. 15 of my favorite questions that I ask the people. And... Uh, you're asking me one of those questions. Mm-hmm. If you just had one more day with a deceased loved one, who would it be and what would you do with them that day? Uh, be with a mom. Mm-hmm. Pause. <laughs> I'd show her her grandson. Yeah. She bet, but she, <clears throat> she bet my granddaughter, her first great-grandchild. She hasn't met little Jackson. Mm-hmm. He's a handsome little boy. Yeah. And I I just listened to her. Ask her questions. And you um, you had the honor and um, the foresight to interview your mom. Yeah. Yeah. 
1997, my grandfather and my father died within two months of each other. Mm-hmm. And the story's buried with them. I wasn't going to make the same mistake with my mom. And again, you'll hear this in the TED Talk if you listen to the TED Talk. But I asked mom soon after I started my business if I can interview her. And she said, no, 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 no. She said, my stories aren't important. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, what are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. But you can't force somebody to tell their story. That's one thing that I've learned. But when they're ready, when she turned 80, she said, let's do this. And thank God I did. Two years, it's the anniversary of her death is a week from Sunday. Oh, wow. Two years ago. I'm sorry. Yeah. Do you do anything on that day? or? Oh, yeah. In, I'm of the Jewish faith, and mm-hmm. on the anniversary of somebody's death, you say memorial prayers. It's called Kaddish. And I will be... I leave a week from Sunday. Um, I'm going to Poland. Mm-hmm. I've never been to Auschwitz. I've interviewed many survivors that have been through Auschwitz, but... Uh, part of that trip is going to be going to Auschwitz. We're going to go to Plaschow, which is the camp in Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. I interviewed a lady who was in Plaschow. Uh, we're going to go by Schindler's factory. We're going to do all kinds of things in Warsaw and Krakow. And, um, but, yeah, that, it's going to be there. So it's going to be special. It's going to be special. Absolutely. Do you ex- how do you expect to receive that? Opportunity. Yeah, that's a great question. Somebody asked me that this morning, as a matter of fact. I, I asked myself that when I agreed to go on this trip. And I'm going to walk into that place open. I don't know how I'm going to feel. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. When I first went through the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., I didn't know how I was going to feel, and I was okay th- through most all of it. Because it's an incredible museum. And I've been through Yad Vashem in Jerusalem, which is the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. Uh, when I hit, they have a cattle car at the Washington, and, the, and when you hit the cattle car, you, they have a light coming through, and then I lost it there. So I, I don't know what's going to happen at Auschwitz. Um, I'm just going to be open to whatever happens. Mm-hmm. It'll be heavy. Absolutely. But... Um, I've heard stories of too many people who walk through those gates. Mm-hmm. That's not a good answer to your question, but that's an no, answer. <laughs> no, it absolutely is. Absolutely. There's no way to know how, you no. know, how you're going to no. uh, be when you're there. Uh, what a wonderful and um, great opportunity, but so hard, I'm sure. Oh, God. Yeah. But th- this trip has been planned by my synagogue, and the rabbi's going, and we're doing happy times and yes. heavy times during mm-hmm. this whole trip. So mm-hmm. we're going to spend the holiday of Purim with the uh, Jewish community of Krakow, mm-hmm. which will be fun. And we're, there's other fun things that mm-hmm. we're going to do. That's good. That's yeah. good. So it won't be all heavy. No. Bring, it, bring the spirits back up. Right. Um, so what is the most important lesson that you've learned in your life journey, not just in your business, but uh, as you've gone through the years? The most important lesson is, um, we talked about this, is listening. Hmm. Uh, if, if each one of us would do a whole lot more listening and a lot less talking, again, my grandfather used to say, God gave you two ears and one mouth. You <laughs> should use your ears twice as much as your mouth. Uh, but that's, that's one lesson. And um, the other lesson that I learned that I try to practice with my children and grandchildren is tell people you love them. Mm 
Mm-hmm. If you if you truly love them, tell them that. Give them a hug. Um, and, and your friends, look them in the eye and say thank you. And, and I love you for this. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and give them a hug. And and guys to guys, you know, I grew up. I'm of the age where that may have seemed weird. BS. Mm-hmm. Give your friend a hug if you really if you really care for him. And tell this guy, especially now, I don't, it's not a whole lot of guys that I say I love you to, but there are some friends that I will tell you, thank you for being in my life. Absolutely. Yes, you can never get too much right. positive connection. Um, and I talk about this in uh, the, the first interview um, oh, yeah. someone did of me uh, that I decided a while back not to hold back on any compliments kind of same yeah. same scenario like there's there's never too much positivity there's never too much genuine connection don't hold back and you one never more, know who needs it exactly one more thing that i learned that you just reminded me of uh, most people don't know how to accept a compliment correct when somebody compliments mm-hmm. you you know what you should do say thank you and then shut up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> most people that say thank you and then follow it with something it could diminish the compliment of the person mm-hmm. and then you don't fully receive it either right yes exactly so that's yeah that's that's I'm glad you reminded me of that mm-hmm. and people will look at you like and <laughs> there's no and thank you thank you, you know? I appreciate I that, appreciate that right? it's very kind of you to say that mm-hmm. for noticing what are you most grateful for hmm. uh, family mm-hmm. and my, my health I'm, I'm very grateful for my health I've interviewed enough people who are not healthy. Mm. I interviewed a billionaire once who wasn't healthy, and he would be glad to give every dollar that he had for his health. So I'm, I'm very grateful for my, for my health. Uh, last year, I, I don't know, if I, I didn't tell you this. Mm. You can either include this or not, but I can now say I'm a cancer survivor. Really? I had my prostate removed on November the 13th of last year. Oh, wow. And thank God everything is clear and clean and I'm, I'm done. But, yeah. So for all you males out there that are listening to this, uh, get your annual physical. And if the PSA is up, get it checked out. Because this was caught early enough to where now it's done. Um, so, so is there anything else that you do to, um, to keep your health? Yeah. I um, I try to be nice to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Linda would appreciate that. Linda will appreciate that. I hope. Um, Number I, one. I do, personally, I do yoga. Mm. I try to stay healthy. I try to eat relatively healthy, mm-hmm. and uh, I try to be grateful because I think when you're grateful, you that adds to your health. Mm-hmm. If you feel grateful inside, if you have gratitude inside. Um, It'll help your health inside and the people around you, I think. So that's what I do. Absolutely. Do you have any um, uh, reminders or or habits of of gratitude? You know, there's a lot lot out there. Yeah. And I don't know that this would necessarily be uh, applicable or will work for all your listeners or but... I, um, especially since mom died, I, I did this for my father and grandfather. There's a tradition among Jews that you, you say Kaddish, that memorial prayer every morning. Um, you go to services and you, you, you say that. So 
to show gratitude, I, I pray. Mm-hmm. I believe in God and I thank God. And that's how I handle it. <laughs> that's fantastic. I think that's always a really good reminder. And some people do it as a habit and don't really bring it inward, that gratitude. Right. You know, thank you for this meal, yada, yada, yada. Um, but when you, like you said, when you bring that gratitude inward, it feels different. Absolutely. And, and it's my own personal belief that I don't care whether you call that higher being God or you pray to Jesus or you pray to Allah or you, or you pray to Fred Flintstone. I don't, <laughs> I, I, I don't care. As long as you have a higher being, mm-hmm. I think that is important. And I've interviewed some of the most wonderful people who are Muslim, mm-hmm. who are Jewish, who are Christian, who are atheists. Mm-hmm. Um, but personally, I, I pray to God. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. What or whom are you most proud of and why? <laughs> Uh, I'm most proud of my children. Um, my son is the fifth generation in our family's business. He's working with my brother, who still runs the family business in San Antonio. He's the fifth generation. My great-grandfather started in 1915. And he's, he's turned out to be such a wonderful young man. He's a good dad. Yeah. He's a really good dad. And a good husband, I think. <laughs> as far as you know, as far as you I don't know. really hear her story. <laughs> I <I've> asked Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> and my daughter is incredible. She is a doctor of physical therapy. Mm-hmm. She got her PhD from the University of Texas uh, Medical Branch in Galveston, and she practices here in Austin. Actually, she ha- she's running a clinic in Bee Cave, Texas. Wow. And uh, she's smart. She's loving. She's just an incredible human being, and I'm very, very proud of both of them. That says a lot about you. Thank you. You have those wonderful children. I've known you. We've known each other for 10 to 15 years mm-hmm. since you started, 06 or before, right? Mm-hmm. I, I met Linda right. first, maybe, somewhere around the yeah. same time, and then realized y'all were married. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I have enjoyed absolutely every conversation that I've had with you and with Linda. You guys are really beautiful people. Thank you. Thank you for being in my life. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you. Now I'll shut up. (laughs) (laughs) But I really want you to... So I, I want to thank you for being here and sharing your time and your story with me. Um, I'll probably invite you to do it again uh, because it's been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Stephanie. It, it is the, the, the pleasure is mine, and I wish you only success in, in this podcast and in all of the endeavors. It's been a joy to know you for all these years, <laughs> and the, the feeling is mutual. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, so what did you think of MVP Business? If you liked it, please subscribe and tell all your friends. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you didn't like it, don't just leave. Let me know what I can do to improve, who you'd like to hear from, and what you'd like to learn. The mission of MVP Business is to share the strengths and struggles of leaders who have successfully grown their businesses while staying true to their mission and vision so that other entrepreneurs can follow, knowing that the path isn't easy but the journey's worth it. If you believe in this mission, please help by living it and sharing it. In the meantime, 
Enjoy the day and live with passion.